This is Checked In with Splash. Hey, folks. Splash CFO Matthew Curry joins me for part two of our chat exploring the B2B marketers must-dos and absolute don'ts for getting support and buy-in from your CFO and finance team for a new marketing tool. So in part one, I got Matthew to break down his early cheat code unlockers and a step-by-step guide to navigating the buying process internally and how to avoid getting shut down by your finance team. And in part two... We're going to dive in with Matthew to really get a clear outline in terms of how to build a business case, and I'll get him to share his thoughts on making sure the software integrates with the company's existing technology stack and addressing ongoing maintenance and support costs that might be associated with that software. So let's go ahead and get checked in with Matthew. Hello. Good to be back. Thank you so much for joining me again and being so open to you know sharing your advice and really providing a helpful framework for getting that buy-in from CFOs and finance teams. I'm sure it would apply to many different scenarios, maybe not even just purchasing a new software. But I want to focus on that still for the purpose of this discussion and make sure that we are equipping our listeners with really helpful tools so that you know, I'm hoping you can walk me through an outline of a standard business case You know, we talked about in part one, kind of the questions that you would need to answer and address. But all right, once you've done that, how do you format it? How do you structure it? How do you put it all together in a coherent business case that you can then send to your CFO or finance team for review? What would you say is kind of the best way to go about outlining that? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the first thing I would say is like, check your company's confluence page, check your company's process, send that slack to the person you know in finance being like, do you have a template that you use? Because depending on the size of your company, they might already have one, right? Mm-hmm. And then use that. Again, you'll be we talked about being ahead of the game by doing that little bit of homework. And homework is work, but if you're you're trying to get to yes in this environment, that's a great step. If you don't get a clear answer, if maybe you're at a little bit of a smaller company and you know each department works a little bit different. I do think that there's just a really basic structure that you can use that will make you look good and it'll impress the finance team and it'll make it more difficult to say no. I kind of start with that Amazon six-page memo idea. If, if you've ever heard of that, you, know, you can certainly Google that. I find that to be a little long. You know, Six pages are long. And you know, maybe if you're making a several hundred thousand dollar investment, it makes sense. Again, everything scales to your size, but I like to try to use the ideas from that but skim it down a little bit. And, you know, I don't want to give advice to people that's just spent tons of time. So I think you can use that concept on a smaller scale and, you know, get a one or two page, probably two page memo together that works really well. And, you know, speaks finance language that we talked about that, right? The different languages that departments can have. So, you know, if there's nothing templatized at your company, you know, I would try to use a Google Doc that makes it easy for everybody to comment in, everybody to read. Ooh, what were you going to ask? So let me make sure I'm understanding this, Matthew. Six pages is maybe not totally necessary to build a, you know, coherent and concise business case. So we can narrow it down to like two pages, right? And get it really nice and tight and concise. I think so. Yes. And again, you know, your individual company may be different, but I think, you know, it's like almost the 80-20 rule. 80% of 
what's necessary can be done in that short time period. And we're all busy, right? So let's start there. You'll already be ahead of the game, I think. And, you know, you can always add to it if your team needs it, right? So the concept of that Amazon six page, if we're memo that we might want to distill down is, you know, it just kind of starts with the problem, right? We talked about the problem in, in the first meeting we had where somebody has three events, they've gone great, but, you know, they're already at the end of their rope, almost burned out. So the problem is, we have something that works, but we can't scale it, right? What's the potential solution? The potential solution is a piece of software that will help us scale this, and it's going to help us scale it, you know, bullet point list by doing A, B, and C, right? You can talk about, again, I'd build out those pros a little bit. Then I'm going to put in cost, right? You know, splash, you know, we price around, well, our pricing changes based on different factors, but, you know, 15 to 25K is probably where a lot of our new customers start, depending on their needs. So, you know, you might be talking about that cost and we're going to talk about cost more, aren't we? But, you know, that's that annual subscription fee. We talked about, hey, go ahead and flag a couple of the risks or cons, you know, like, hey, maybe my New York event doesn't go through. Maybe I have to hire a little more professional services to make this really work. But then what can we do to mitigate that? And then, you know, a summary at the end. In the cons, you could also talk about maybe like other alternatives if you felt like it was necessary. And then you're having that summary at the end where you're saying like, hey, for a cost of 15 to 25K, we can scale this program. And, you know, in the pros, you maybe put a link to that little funnel we talked about when we're making a business case where you're saying like, hey, 150 people attended, 20 of them turned into opportunities, four of them are probably going to close. And then your company, it's your ACV, whatever it might be. So we have that simple funnel in there. And I really think that just putting that in one place, showing it to the finance team, you know, all the things we talked about in the first section, you can integrate there too, in terms of like, is there a budget? You know, if not, you know, here's something we can offset. If there's nothing to offset and this is just from scratch, hey, this can still make sense. Remember that funnel we talked about, this is going to drive revenue or that cost that we might be able to eliminate. We might be able to eliminate that manual person who's updating spreadsheets, so on and so forth. So, you know, you wrap that together, you're in an easy to use tool like a Google Sheet or a Google Doc that everybody can comment on. And I think you're really like, you're 80% of the way there and, and you've set yourself up for success and you're talking in the language that finance can understand. And I just think that makes a real big difference. And even if you got a soft no initially, I think that puts you in a great spot for next year. This is your business case for 2024. So I just think there's a lot of advantages there. And, and you, business case can be intimidating, but I think you can slim it down and, and really hit the high points and, and put yourself in a good spot. Honestly, Matthew, the way that you just broke that down makes it feel very not intimidating. It makes it feel like, okay, you know, this is something that any marketer could could really tackle. And I hope that's helpful for our listeners. It's certainly going to be something that I use myself in the future as needed. So where in the business case are you and how, maybe more importantly, like, I feel like we need to talk about integrating the new tool because, you know, yes, you need to understand what the cost is going to be and what the, you know, pros and cons, trade-offs, potential risks are, is maybe in the risks and pros, I guess like, yeah, how are you making sure that you are addressing that key component to success, which is you need seamless and successful integration with a new tool. And that's not necessarily 
a straightforward process in each case. So what are your thoughts here? And what do the people, the marketers driving this buying process, what do they need to be thinking about here? Again, if the audience is finance, right? So like I'm thinking, you know, you come to me with a new tool over time. And, you know, it wasn't always like this, but over time, it's one of the first questions I think of, does this integrate with our stack, right? Because we all hate disparate data spread all around that we have to manage. And that, you know, you do that so many times and all of a sudden you, you got a nightmare and now you need to buy a tool to integrate the data, right? And then, oh my God, so it's just like swirling down the drain. It's one of the first questions that I ask now. I'm like, hey, does this integrate with our stack? Have you thought about that? You know, if I was describing Splash, I think I get to put it in the pros column, right? Because I'm like, you know, I'm talking about the pros. I'm talking about, you know, okay, we scale this program. You know, it allows us to, you know, drive people into our revenue funnel, maybe eliminate some costs. And then I'm saying pros, integration. You know, we integrate with Salesforce. We integrate with Marketo. We can integrate with HubSpot. We're working on iPaaS that allows us to integrate with a lot of other tools, right? So I think it's something that you do need to address in your business case in this new environment. And I say new, it's not really that new. Data and piping has been around for a while. What do you need to think about as a marketer? You need to think about the fact that other people are going to ask this question. So you should ask your rep or contact at the entity that you're trying to buy on board, hey, what do you integrate with? What do you integrate out of the box with? What requires extra work to integrate? What are your most common integrations, right? Lots of people integrate with Salesforce. So it's great if whatever tool you're trying to buy, whether it's Splash or something else, if they can answer you, yes, we do Salesforce. And guess what? It's also the one we do the most of. So we're the best at it and it works. It's solid. And then you as a marketer might know the tools that you use in-house the most. Right. And so not everybody uses all these tools. You know, there's different applications that does what Salesforce does. So you might need to go back to your rep and say, hey, I know we use this. But if you've identified the three or four kind of like powerhouse ground level tools that if you log into it every day, probably other people are. So, you know, and knowing that the tool you're thinking about bringing on board integrates with them, that, that becomes a pro. Now, if it doesn't, it might be a con or a risk. And then you maybe need to mention it there. Like, hey, you know, the, what we're looking at doesn't integrate with you know, Oracle or whatever. And we use Oracle. And then we start, well, is there a mitigation? Oh, they're working on it. And they think they can release that in, you know, January Q1 2024. Or if there's no mitigation, there's no mitigation. You, you shouldn't certainly hide it, right? Because it's best to get that out there and have that discussion. Because nothing's worse than buying a tool getting started with it. And then you hit this huge roadblock. Everybody's frustrated. Everybody's disappointed. And, and you're now you're going backwards on trust instead of moving forward. So, you know, that's what I think about integration wise, you know, so I hope that that's helpful to you and, and people who might be listening. Yeah, absolutely. So then I guess my next question is kind of more so around, you know, post implementation post, you know, hopefully you've sorted out how it's going to integrate with your tech stack and you see the path to implementation, right? What do you need to kind of plan for and address or at least think about 
post-implementation, right? I'm kind of thinking about the ongoing maintenance, right? You're not just going to purchase a tool once, implement it once, and then, you know, forget about it, right? So what about the maintenance, other types of, you know, costs that might be associated with the software? And, you know, how do you approach addressing that in your business case as well? Yeah. Well, we talked about having a section called price. And, you know, if someone's buying Splash, you know, it's pretty upfront and clear, you know, what we charge per year. And we call that the subscription cost, right? You pay every year, just like your Netflix account, you pay whatever it is, $7.99 a month. You know, for Splash, you pay X amount per year. And that's going to happen every year. So, you know, that's the subscription recurring cost there. Then there can be one-time setup fees. Right. And whoever your rep is should really be able to know that for splash. You know, they aren't that high, but depends on what tool you're looking at. You know, so maybe you're going to pay an annual subscription license of $20,000 and it's going to be a $2,000 cost for initial setup, you know, setting up that integration we just talked about. And maybe they are encouraging you to buy training for $500 because they say, you know, hey, if your team goes to this training, everybody's going to get on board much faster. So, if I was making a business case, I'd probably include that, right? Because you can try to cheat and say, hey, we don't need that. But like, you know, again, once you buy a tool, you want it to be adopted. You want it to be getting most out of it. So I would say include just clearly labeled and, and your rep should be able to help you with this, right? You should have that person, that co-pilot who's helping you make this case to finance. And, you know, as if you have questions, they should be able to answer them. I was saying like, oh, this is the subscription cost that we would pay every year. You know, this is the one-time cost that we might pay up front. And then you mentioned ongoing maintenance. When I think of that, I think of like, well, there's different ways you could think about that. It could be that like, you know, every year you might anticipate some specialization you want to do within your tool. You're going to launch a new program internally and you want an additional training. You want some additional help from the professional service team of whatever that tool you're trying to buy. Those are hard to say though, right? You know, I'm in finance, but I'm not necessarily expecting you to know that two years from now, you might want to integrate a new tool and it's going to cost three grand. So if I'm trying to help you get approval, you know, I don't, I wouldn't just speculate that you might have to spend more money later. You certainly want to include what you know you'll need to spend, which is that subscription cost, but don't shoot yourself in the foot and say, Hey, we also might have to spend another five grand next year, unless you know, you're going to need to spend it. Right. Because Again, we're trying to get you to yes. So you want to be transparent, but you don't have to be a negative about it either, right? Hopefully you're building in, in that one-time cost, the key kind of setup fees. And a lot of times, so for example, with Splash, after folks set us up and, you know, the integration with Salesforce is working, the integration with HubSpot is working or whatnot, they don't really have a whole lot of ongoing fees right? Other than the subscription fee, right? They might want to pay for an additional training or something like that, but those are things that they can decide to do next year. And, and that's next year's budget, right? Don't, don't shoot yourself in the foot, right? You know, put your best foot forward. Yeah. I think that's helpful to hear. And, you know, it's just, yeah, really illuminating to understand what is really essential to address and the best ways to approach that that's going to set you up for success. And like we said in part one, ultimately, at the end of the day, you need to be able to build trust. And so being transparent, but you know, also being the champion, like you said, you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot. This is super helpful. Okay. So I feel like we have a pretty complete 
business case once we go through each of these steps that you just outlined, right? Is there anything else you would add to the business case and or any kind of final advice for our listeners as they're hopefully able to implement all of the advice that you've shared from our part one conversation and now in part two, anything else you think they should be thinking about planning for to just make sure that they are arming themselves and their team with the best data information and kind of, you know, business case outlined for everyone to agree to make an investment decision? Yeah, this one, it might involve, you know, letting go a little bit, being a little humble, but, you know, it always helps to have more senior stakeholders on board, right? So I'm imagining a scenario where, you know, you're managing the digital team, you're managing the events team, whatever it might be. You know, if you've got the VP of your team or the CMO, if you're in marketing, you know, you get her or him on board as well. I mean, obviously they would presumably be on board, but, you know, maybe if that final business case comes from them, you know, that's why I was talking to let go a little bit. You know, something you learn maybe in your career at some point is that it's not bad to have the bigger stick on board as well, right? So, you know, maybe you walk your CMO through it or your VP through it and he or she sends that initial Slack, that initial email to finance being like, hey, John, Jane put together this business case and I, I'm fully on board. I'd really love, you know, finance, can you commit to me when you can look at this business case? Can you do it within 72 hours or something reasonable? But just like, that emphasizes that senior leadership is on board, right? And if you've done a good job putting together the business case, presumably it's not hard to get that alignment right there. And we're all human beings, right? And so knowing like, hey, this isn't something that just the events team wants to do. This is something the CMO is behind. This is something the VP is behind and, and feels is important. It kind of goes without saying, but again, we're all human and I'm trying to get you to yes. So that name on there, just being like, hey, the VP, the CMO, whatever is on board, it can't hurt, right? It helps. And so I think that is just an extra small step that, you know, just helps things move a little quicker and just make sure everyone knows that you're serious, right? And that this has been vetted all the way through. Love that. I actually think that's a really kind of stealth pro move to pull and definitely filing that one away. Got to yeah. make sure, you know, I mean, well, Camille, you don't need to file it away because if you send it to me, you know, we've worked together for a long time, but, uh, you know, yeah, I'm, 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 help, I'm hoping for that person. Maybe you're a little newer to your organization, you know? Yeah. That just helps. I think that makes total sense. And probably smart to start building the business case and get, you know, share it with your CMO first. I think that's probably 100%. a great way to get them on board. Hey, so-and-so I've been building this business case. You know, this is what I have outlined so far. Do you see any gaps? Do you see any ways I can make this stronger? I think inviting collaboration, you know, doing most of the work yourself, of course, doing as much of it as you can first and, you know, showing that proactivity and showing the initiative but then I think, you know, inviting in collaboration, not only with the finance team, you know, but your marketing key stakeholders as well is probably smart. And then, like you said, you could then have your CMO be like, look what so-and-so put together. I put my stamp of approval on this. And yeah, I can see that being a really strong way to move things forward. Well, Matthew, thank you so much. This has been really great. Now I feel like 
the getting your CFO's buy-in is I'm so glad we've tackled this topic because I know it's been coming up. I know that I mean, I have spoken to marketers who are like, we know we want Splash. We know we need it. And we're just waiting to get that yes from finance. And it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. So I'm definitely going to share these two episodes with them and make sure that they feel fully empowered and equipped to put the strongest business case together. Thank you so much. This has been really, really valuable for me. And I think it will be for all of our listeners. And to everyone who has tuned in to this episode, thank you so much for supporting the show. We love to bring you know educational and inspiring content to our listeners and our community to help you crush your goals and continue to achieve everything that you are setting out to accomplish with your team and your organization in terms of using events to drive revenue growth. There's so much more where this came from. So if you have any requests for topics you want me to dig into on the show, reach out and let me know. You can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Camille Whitestern. Search for my name. Or you can email us at podcast at splashthat.com and tell us what type of content you want more from us. It's a pleasure as always. Thank you for rocking with us. And until next time, take care. Thanks again, Matthew. Matthew.